This is the Big Pond. There's a bar at the High Pass Winery in Junction City, Oregon, where we're enjoying a lovely view of rolling vineyards and tasting wine. What we're sampling is something called Crazy Eight. It's not your standard issue Cabernet. It's a blend made from eight different grapes. Scheureba, Huxelreba, Silvana, Bacchus, Siegfried, Gewürztraminer, Comtesse, and Gutedel. They're grapes brought from Germany and replanted in vineyards here in Oregon. Wine drinkers among you know the grapes used for wines like Chardonnay or Merlot. These German grapes and the wines made from them have a different taste. So you get this balance between the acid and the sugar. That's Dieter Böhm, owner and winemaker at High Pass, explaining what makes a German-style wine different. German grapes produce a very floral nose. You smell them, you know, you think of flowers, you think of, uh, you know, fresh fruit. And that's something that Chardonnay doesn't do, you know. And that's, uh, that's the same with the flavors, you know. There's a lot of fruitiness. I'm Gary Lee. My report today is on German-style wines. I'm not talking about wines made in Germany, the Rhine wines, Franken and Ermit and other German vintages. This is about wines made from grapes that were brought from Germany and grown in U.S. soil. That's why they're called German style and not German wines. We'll be visiting three wineries. Each is in a different corner of the United States, and each has its own peculiar German-American wine scene. While I explored the wineries and got to know the winemakers, I discovered something interesting, that each wine seeks to reflect the unique character and style of its maker. Dieter Böhm was born and raised on the other side of the Iron Curtain in communist-ruled East Germany. His father was a wine connoisseur who ran a restaurant in the mountainous Erzgebirge region near the Czech border. Berm has strong memories of his father's interest in wine. We always had a decent wine list in this restaurant that was mostly wines from uh, all, the, all the communist neighbors, uh, Hungary, Romania, Bulgaria, maybe some Czech or then the, the Champagne from the Crimea, from Russia. As good as that wine was, it wasn't good enough to keep Berm in East Germany. In 1975, he escaped across the wall to the west, and eventually came to America and settled in Oregon. Here, he started growing grapes and opened a winery called High Pass. It's a beautiful sprawl of vineyards spread along rolling hills. He now cultivates over 50 acres, neatly organized rows of grapes used to make Pinot Noir and several German wines. Berm sells many of the grapes to other winemakers, but he also keeps some to make his own wine. After more than four decades living and working in Oregon, Berm is Americanized. He's got an adventurous West Coast spirit, and his lingo is laced with terms like gung-ho and snooty. And now he gives his name the American pronunciation of Bohm, 
rather than the German Berm. Nevertheless, he's still pretty proud of his German roots, and he has fun keeping up connections with Germans in the area. The all-German immigrants that, uh, that call you on the phone and say, Oh, you are that German guy who has that German wine. <laughs> A couple of the wines Berm makes seem to reflect his own hybrid character. They're a kind of mix of German intensity and American earthiness. One is made from grapes called Scheurebe. It, it makes a good uh, off-dry uh, wine with a little residual sugar, and it offers interesting flavors for white wine because, uh, you know, I think it's the only white wine I know that has like, uh, like hints of chassis, you know, uh, blackcurrant. Another grape is Huxelraber, and Bohm tells about the wine that it produces. Nice aromatic wine with a lot of peach and apricot and honey notes, so very, very nice flavor. Both Scheuraber and Huxelraber are grapes that Berm brought back from Germany years ago in a suitcase and planted here. Besides the grapes, what makes the wines German is the method Berm uses to make them. It's a process common in German winemaking, emphasizing cold fermentation and oxygen deprivation. The American part of the wines comes through the earth where the grapes grow, the so-called terroir. First, workers graft the German grape plants onto American vines. Then they plant the grapes in a soil called bell pine, a silty clay loam over sandstone that is common in Oregon's wine country. After many years of making wine in Oregon, Berm is clear about one thing. Creating an authentic German wine in the U.S. is really not feasible. To explain why, he gives the example of Riesling, whose grapes originate in the Mosul Valley of Germany. And those slate stone hills of the Moselle create a specific terroir that gives the Riesling the super floriferous character and the fruitiness and earthiness together that's just not matchable anywhere else. But Bern feels it's still very much worth it to see how close he can get to making a wine that has a German taste to it. You can try the style. You know, the style of uh, cold fermentation, no oxygen, and see what the grape variety will give you in this piece of terroir. So that, that is the fun part. How well does he succeed in producing wines that reflect both German and American influences? That's a question we put to the small crowd that was sipping the latest vintage of Bohm's Crazy 8 blend at the High Pass Bar. After a couple of glasses, they're still trying to figure it all out. Well, we have a German last name, but neither one of us is German. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he's not German and I'm not German, but we have a German last name. Jawohl! The wine was already starting to talk. For the next stop on our German-style wine pub crawl, we hightail it across the U.S. to Herman Wiemer Winery in the hamlet of Dundee in the Finger Lakes region of New York. Fred Merwith, co-owner and winemaker at Herman Wiemer, took me on a tour. 
here's a huge 90-year-old barn that has been transformed into the winery centerpiece. Vineyards spread out as far as I can see in every direction, encompassing around 130 acres. And there's also a huge storage area with boxes of wine bottles piled high. They are part of the winery's huge production, which totals more than 17,000 cases every year. In all, it's an impressive operation. But the real centerpiece of the winery may be Fred Merworth himself. He's the chief wine guru here, and he's on a mission to create a perfect Riesling. Yeah, he makes Chardonnay and other wines too, but Riesling is his biggest obsession. In fact, he makes at least 11 kinds of Riesling. And with every one of them, his goal is perfection. To me, the idea of making a perfect Riesling sounds pretty lofty. But for a serious winemaker like Merworth, it makes sense. Riesling is by far the most popular German-style wine made in the U.S. And as far as my taste buds are concerned, many of them are mediocre. Merworth is driven to make Rieslings that make people, and especially connoisseurs of good wine, remember. Merworth helped me understand why Riesling is so unique and special. With Riesling, you have this whole wide view of the world, from very dry wines to extremely sweet wines, and anything in between. And I think generally when we've tasted very fine German Rieslings, the balance of the wine is just perfect between the acid and the sweetness. That is, I think, a hallmark of the varietal, that when you hit it right with the acid and the sweetness, that you have a wine that I don't think there's another varietal that can compare to that in terms of creating elegance, complexity. It's that balance between acid and sweetness that Riesling makers all over the U.S., at least a 100, including a dozen in the Finger Lakes alone, are trying to get right. So, what's the secret to achieving it? To find that out, I talked to various winemakers. And naturally, I sampled a few Rieslings. What I concluded is that creating a really great German-style Riesling comes down to four factors. First, you need really great Riesling grapes. The cliche in, in the wine industry is that, you know, you can't make great wine from mediocre grapes. You need great grapes to make great wine. That, that's absolutely true, but you, you can't mess up great grapes in between making wine. Riesling grapes also thrive well in areas with strong soil variations, a terroir that changes every few hundred feet. And this winery's vineyards have just that kind of soil. Finally, when harvest time comes, the workers here gather the grapes by hand rather than machine. That assures that they bring in the highest quality. Another crucial factor is the winemaker's technique. The method used at Hermann Wiemer is unique in two important ways. They plant only a limited number of grapes in the vineyards, and they let the grapes ferment a long time. Merwith, the winemaker, explained to me the do's and don'ts not overproducing, having concentrated fruit coming into the winery, and then fairly long, slow fermentations. The third element for creating a great Riesling is the winery's tradition. Here, 
the folks at Herman Veemer have a pretty big advantage. They bought this place from Herman Veemer himself, who was one of the pioneers of creating Riesling in the Finger Lakes in the 1980s and 90s. Veemer came from the Moselle region of Germany and started this winery in 1979. He developed methods for making some of the most acclaimed Rieslings outside of Germany. And then he hired Fred Merwith as an apprentice in 2001. And he mentored Fred for several years before selling the winery to him and his partners in 2007. Fred Merwith likes to reflect on the years of learning about winemaking from Hermann Wiemer. We would finish harvest, have dinner, and talk wine while the presses were finish, finishing. And we would finish grafting and then have a glass of wine and, and talk. And I could do that then because you know, my wife and I were just married. We didn't have kids. She was training as a jeweler, so she was working crazy hours. And we could just hang out and, and talk wine. And all this drinking and talking went on for years. The fourth element is the character of the winemaker. Merwitz seems to be all about balance. During our day with him, it was clear that he works hard at juggling various duties. Ownership and management of the winery, spending time with his family, including his wife and son. And he moves around the winery deftly, but he always speaks in the measured terms of a deep thinker. Murrit's family heritage also seems important to his character. He's a third-generation German-American, and his grandparents work hard to hold on to their culture, including the speaking of the German language. But his parents, Pennsylvania Dutch farmers, were more Americanized. They opted not to learn German. Merwith decided to reconnect with German culture. As a schoolboy, he learned the language. Later, he spent time on a couple of student exchange programs in Germany. Those were pivotal experiences for him. So, how well does all this work out for winemaking? To find out, we popped open a bottle of Hermann Wiemer's Finest, a 2016 Riesling. Oh yeah, centered just right between sweetness and acidity. Now that's perfection. As impressive as the Riesling was, I still wondered how it stands up to its counterparts made in Germany. It's a question that Merwith and his colleagues think about a lot. We do that all the time, is look at Rieslings within a classic sense of, of Germany and say, okay, here's Mosel, here's Rheingau, here's Naha, here's Franken, and here's the Faltz, here's Rheinhessen, and look at our own production and say, well, stylistically, how do we compare? Every year, Merwith brings interns from German wineries to work at Hermann Wiemer. They share what's going on back home and offer comparisons between German and U.S. winemaking. Still, after all that, what's most important, Merwitz says, is that Rieslings, like all Rhines, should be the products of the terroir where the grapes are grown. For the final stop, we scoot south to Odium Cellars in Loudoun County, Virginia. This area, around an hour from Washington, D.C., is wine and horse country. And Odium Cellars is pretty enough to be on a calendar of the Shenandoah Mountains. The winemakers here specialize in German varietals quite different from those we encountered so far. We have uh, Blaufränkisch, or in other German name is Lemberger. We have Dornfelder, 
the Sovetti German variety. We have Zweigelt. Zweigelt is Austrian German variety. We have Grüner Wettliner. It's also a little bit more in the southern part of Bavaria, so Austrian area. That's the owner, Gerrit Bauer. In the 1980s, he came from the Franconia region of Germany to run a company here in Virginia. After he retired 10 years ago, Bauer bought several acres of land. Together with a business partner, he decided to grow some grapes just to sell to other wineries to make wine. But they hit a snag. Ben is his name. Ben, what are we doing now? He said, stupid question, we make wine. (laughs) That's how we got started. (laughs) Problem solved. And a decade later... Odium Cellars' German wines have turned out to be a really big draw. Locals like their novelty. The main customer base we have is they really enjoy to have something different, not the standard Virginia wine you can get everywhere. They really enjoy the difference and the taste of our German varieties. Although Germany is best known for its white wines, at Odium Cellars, the most popular is by far Blaufrankisch, a light red. Like the vineyard owner, Gerd Bauer, this wine is lighthearted and easily approachable. Max Bauer, Gerd's son and one of the winemakers, explains how this wine changes from vintage to vintage. Right now I can tell you that our Blaufrankisch has some great cherry tones and is slightly spicier. That could be for this year. Next year it could be slightly sweeter or drier, so it, it, it varies year to year. In this part of the Shenandoah Mountains... The scenery seems just like Germany. I would say it looks exactly like I grew up in Germany. It's uh, rolling mountains, the Blue Ridge Mountain in the background. It's like uh, the area I grew up. We had uh, Fichtel Mountains and uh, Frankenweitz. It's mostly the same uh, latitude uh, around here and the same kind of rolling hills. And uh, it's, I, I feel... Like at home. A newly built tasting complex with high wood beam ceilings adds to the atmosphere of Bavaria. In the end, the Bowers have created something more than a place to drink wine. They've set up a bridge between their native Germany and Virginia. People come to hang out, ride horses, hear some music, or meet others who are interested in Germany and wine. The clientele includes some locally-based Germans who want a place to speak their native tongue, and also some Americans, including ex-military, who've lived in Germany. And then there are those who are just curious. It happens many times that the customers coming in and uh, asking about where this wine is grown in Germany and uh, how it looks like and uh, how they are doing. We have a lot of customers which have been in Germany before, mostly from military. And uh, it's also a nice, a nice uh, let's say, start-up for a conversation to talk about where you come from, where the wine comes from, and what the difference is, and why you did it. It's always perfect. And to think, it all started with a retired businessman from Germany planting a few German grapes and making some wine. This is Gary Lee for The Big Pond. Das 
Wunderbar together. You've been listening to The Big Pod, a series of dialogues between Germans and Americans, coming to you from PRX and the Goethe Institute.